Welcome to Cannes National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host. Today, I thought we'd look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, which talk about the Word of God. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse matters, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in his last day spoken unto us by his Son, whom he had appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds. We find out that God is the creator of the world, that the word of God was given by God himself through men who were moved by the Holy Spirit here on earth and wrote his very words that have been passed down to us without error. And so we can be certain that the Bible that we read today is the very word of God. We can trust it, we can rely upon it, and we can put faith in it. And we know that these things are true. When we compare the, the principles that are laid out in the word of God, of who God is, he's a holy God, he's a righteous God, he's a perfect God, but most of all, he is holy. We need to be holy as well. And of course, we're all sinners and we need a savior. And uh, we have a God who loved us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. my heart, oh God, may I be like you. Change my heart, oh God. Good day. Thank you for joining our Moments from the Mission Field, with interviews and stories about how the Lord's work is reaching out globally through the agency of Mission Go. Today we have in our studio, Doug and Linda Wilson. And uh, Doug and Linda have been with Global Outreach Mission for the last couple of years, and we're so thankful for their ministry. Uh, Doug is the uh, Director of Church Planning, and Doug, why don't you uh, tell our audience about uh, training pastors mm-hmm. and to lead their congregations in a, th- in a third world setting? Well, thanks so much for that question. It's uh, very close to our heartbeat as we think about uh, the years that we served as a pastor in North America, and then we were called to go to England to church plant. We learned a lot of lessons there about uh, the New Testament paradigm of local churches being planted of the people, by the people, for the people, as guided by the Holy Spirit. And we used 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 as our main theme, that the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we're actively looking for Paul-Timothy relationships to be able to develop from outside those that are hungry-hearted and capable of being able to train and lead their own people and then to commit that truth and that training and that mentoring and that modeling to them, and then they will in turn uh, teach it to their men and women in their local church setting. And then it'll be what we like to say, church planting on steroids. It's a way of being able to to guide people to care for their own. The old uh, sort of worn out uh, way of doing missionary work where all the North Americans go and do the work and pay the bills really is not the best way to sustain global missions uh, in partnership with those that are led to go forth into foreign cultures as expatriates. Uh, we need to go as, and to equip them to do for themselves. And uh, 
I think we're, we're really following the New Testament example of Paul, but we're also allowing them the joy of being able to minister to their own people. They know the language, they know the culture, they know the, the, the ways, the, the land. Uh, they already have resident visas as a national people of the country. And so we are able to just equip and enable them as a cost savings as well. Yeah, I think that's the way missions are going, and it's certainly the way Global Outreach is going. I'm so thankful for this philosophy of, of training up the nationals to do the work of the ministry. One thing in missions today is we're never sure how long we're going to be allowed to stay in a country, and sometimes we are expelled, and uh, we want the people who are left behind to the nationals to go ahead and continue on with the ministries that we've begun from North America. So I think that's a real good, uh, a real good philosophy of ministry. Well, Linda's had a role in that as well because she's been able to uh, come as an experienced pastor's wife and an experienced church planner in a cross-cultural setting in England and be able to transfer a lot of those principles to the women and children uh, in the local churches and other cultures. Yes, it's always a challenge to try to package those things in a way that is fitting for the local culture. And sometimes our North American minds don't grasp exactly how others think in other countries like uh, the UK, the United Kingdom, for example. We speak pretty much the same language, but there are a lot of different ways of thinking. And it took a while to try to translate some of the mentoring and discipling philosophies that we had so that they would work with, the, in my case, the women and children there in England in our ministry. But it was very rewarding to make friends with them and to see them grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and to, to be reaching out to their neighborhoods and their country in ways that only they could do effectively. Yeah, I know you had a very uh, successful ministry. I know the Lord really blessed you, and you had a self-sustaining church there when uh, when you left, and we want to recreate that all over the world, actually. So that's one of the reasons that we wanted to hear your philosophy of ministry today. We're so thankful for the privilege that we have to work together. I know Doug is uh, quite the singer. I know that Linda is quite the uh, pianist, and they, they're the ones who produced a CD for us, which was very, very popular. We, we couldn't get enough of them. We had to get a second ship and we're so thankful for the gifts and abilities that God has entrusted to you. And I'm so thankful that you have allowed him to guide and direct you and direct you to the fields that are white on the harvest. And you're one of the workers who have gone out and are going out to share the good news to those who have never heard. And so I'm so thankful that you're a, a part of our ministry and we look forward to see how the Lord is going to use you in the future. Well, we're honored to serve in that way and we're thankful for GOM. Yes, indeed we are. Thank you. The Lord bless you. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you are aware, this is a listener-supported program, and of course, we cannot continue to be on the air without your prayers and your support. This month, we're offering a, a pamphlet by Dr. Fred Hartman uh, entitled, For My Namesake. God makes an unconditional covenant with Abraham. He makes promises to the children of Israel that he would be their people, that that his descendants would be blessed forever. And so that prophecy is still in effect today because it was unconditional. God, God ratified that covenant without man or Abraham or anyone else agreeing to it that the descendants of Abraham would be blessed. And you can see that throughout the years. Uh, when the nation sinned, of course, then they came under God's discipline, just like when we sin, we come under God's discipline. But he never rejected totally the nation Israel. 
even in today, we have the nation coming back to Israel. They have their own land again. Uh, Jews from all over the world are gathering there, and we see the end-time prophecies of becoming a real thing. And so all the prophecies up at this point have, have pretty much been fulfilled as the Jews come back into the land. And the greatest promise that's in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, is the fact that one day that all the Jews will be saved. And that will be a great thing right at the end of the world when God destroys everything. And so these things are in process, but it also has a, a personal application for you and for, for me. God makes promises to us in his word, and those promises are true. And if we continue to live by those promises, that God will continue to work in our lives and draw us closer to ourselves as we live holy lives. One of the promises he makes, he'll never leave us or forsake us. The other promise is that he will help us to grow in grace as we study the word of God. And uh, other promises are that uh, we will see fruit for our labor as we're faithful to him. There are all sorts of things that God has given to us, and we need to claim those promises and live by them. And this pamphlet will draw you closer to God and it will help you to live the Christian life. You can get your copy of this pamphlet. It's called For My Name's Sake through writing to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Good day. If you, your friends from church, or family members are interested in more information about short-term or career ministry opportunities, or seeking someone to come to your church, or a group to speak about international missions, please call 866-483-5787 in Canada or 888-900-5048 in the United States or on the web visit www.missiongood.org so we can share more information. Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning and is entitled, Faith Once Delivered. Printed copies are available upon request. If a man die, shall he live again? Both before and since Job asked that question over 3,000 years ago, the subject he raised has occupied the thoughts of millions of people in all generations. We are all keenly aware that someday we will die, it matters not whether we are young or old, rich or poor, strong or weak, known or unknown. Death is inevitable. It is only a matter of time, and we will die. But is death the end of our existence? Or to come back to Job's question, if a man die, shall he live again? The reason why we need a factual answer is obvious. If this short earthly life is all there is to human existence, the logical thing to do is get from life as much of everything we can that gives pleasure and satisfaction, be it money, power, success, prestige, or anything else we desire. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. On the other hand, if this earthly life is only a fleeting breath in an endless conscious existence, if death is not the end, and we are going to be resurrected from the dead to a future life that will never end. Then our interests, desires, priorities, and decisions logically must be based on very different premises and considerations. It therefore surely should not surprise anyone 
that in the inspired scriptures, which are God's divine revelation of absolute and eternal truth, factual and infallible information concerning the literal resurrection from the dead of every person who dies comprises one of the cardinal doctrines of what the Apostle Jude calls the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And so in this series of talks on that faith once delivered, we come today to God's answer to the all-important question, if a man die, shall he live again? Or in other words, the doctrine of the literal bodily resurrection of the dead. May I direct your attention to God's answer to the question given in clear and precise language by none other than his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 5, 28, 29, Christ says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Certainly that is clear and definite. Just as it is certain that all of us will die, it is equally certain that all of us will in due course be literally resurrected from the dead. Job, who asked the question, if a man dies, shall he live again, was certain that the answer is yes, as revealed by his statement in Job 19.25, where he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Yes, my friend, your death will not end your existence. Just as certain as there is conscious life beyond the grave for your soul, there will also come a day in which your physical body will be literally resurrected from the dead, never to die again. In the light of such knowledge gained from the revelation of God in the inspired scriptures, surely you owe it to yourself to order your life and establish your priorities and make your decisions in keeping with such knowledge. May I ask you now to consider what the scriptures tell us about the characteristics of the body with which we will be resurrected. The Apostle Paul addresses this matter in his first letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 15, beginning at verse 35. He says, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Paul here is speaking of the resurrection of believers in Christ. Unbelievers are in a different category, as we will see in a moment. Believers in Christ will be resurrected with the same 
but not identical body. Through the process of death and resurrection, God will remove all imperfections and proneness to corruption, dishonor, weakness, and so on. They will be raised with glorified bodies made like unto the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. He had the same but not the identical body after his resurrection. It was a body of flesh and bones. It retained the nail prints in his hands and feet and the spear wound in his side. But it was a glorified body, freed from the laws of physics so that he entered rooms where the doors were shut and vanished from view after speaking with his disciples and confirming his resurrection. Handle me and see, he told them, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. Philippians 3.21 tells us that at our resurrection, when Christ appears to remove his church from this earth, he shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Paul further says in 1 Corinthians 15:49, As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. He goes on in the same chapter to explain that people will not all be resurrected at the same time. There will be two separate resurrections, and the first will take place in two phases. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 22, we read, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end, but he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father and he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Now look carefully at what this tells us. The first phase of the first resurrection will be of those described as Christ the first fruits. This is a biblical term used to describe Christ's church or mystical body. Believers in Christ who have died during this present church age of God's grace will be the first body of people to be raised from the dead. In our earlier consideration of the appearing of Christ to remove his church from the earth, we noted that the resurrection of those who have died trusting in Christ coincides with the transformation and translation of living believers who will be caught up together with those resurrected to meet the Lord in the air. We examine 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, which reads, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the first phase of what the scriptures call the resurrection of the just or resurrection of life. The second phase of the resurrection of the just will take place when Christ returns with his church to set up his millennial kingdom on this earth. Paul refers to this phase as the resurrection of 
they that are Christ at his coming. He is referring to the Old Testament saints, the majority of whom will be saints of the house of Israel. The scriptures say of Christ's first advent, he came unto his own, that is to Israel, and his own received him not. Under the covenant God made with Abram, he affirmed that Abram's descendants through Isaac and Jacob, in other words, the house of Israel, would be his own chosen people. When Christ returns to earth the second time, they will be resurrected and together with the dispersed of the tribes of Israel, whom Christ will regather to Palestine, well, as he says in Matthew 8:11, sit down with Abram and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. For the thousand years of Christ's earthly reign, they will be the citizens of his kingdom. Paul goes on to say, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. At that time, the resurrection of the unbelieving dead of all ages, referred to in the scriptures as the resurrection of damnation, will take place. It is described by the Apostle John in Revelation 20, verses 4 and 6 make reference to those raised in the first resurrection, living and reigning with Christ during his millennial kingdom. John says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. In verse 5 he says, The rest of the dead, that is the unbelieving dead, live not again until the thousand years were finished. Then beginning in verse 11, John describes the scene when the resurrection of the unbelieving dead takes place. It says, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God willing, we'll look more closely at the judgment aspect of the resurrected unbelievers in our next talk on this series. The vital fact I leave with you today is the fact that as surely as every person born into this life will die, so every person who dies someday will be resurrected from the dead. If a man die, shall he live again? The answer is an unequivocal yes. Surely there's nothing unbelievable in an omnipotent God bringing back to life those who have died. He who in the beginning formed man in his own image from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life certainly has the power to resurrect from the dead those from whose mortal bodies that life was temporarily removed. Paul said to King Agrippa, Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead. Having regard to God's omnipotence, there isn't anything incredible about it. And as proof that God can 
and has raised the dead, Paul pointed to Christ's literal bodily resurrection as a fact established beyond all question by many infallible proofs. The doctrine of the literal bodily resurrection of the dead is one more of the cardinal truths affirmed and confirmed in the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It is a truth you cannot afford to ignore. You, my friend, are going to live on somewhere in a conscious state forever and forever and forever. The few short years of this present earthly life are but a fleeting moment compared with the eternity which stretches before you. Like everyone else, someday you will die. But physical death isn't the end. Your soul will continue in conscious existence beyond the grave. And someday, your body will be resurrected and reunited with your soul and spirit, and you will live on forever and forever. In the light of these facts, surely the decisions you make now, the priorities you set, how you use your time, what you do and say, how you live, should all be decided in the light of your eternal existence, not merely in the context of the few short years of this present life. Above all, be sure you understand that your eternal destiny and the nature of your unending life to come hinges above all else on your personal relationship with the living Christ who died for you and was then resurrected from the dead and is alive today and forevermore. Without him as your personal savior, you face a lost eternity, forever alienated from God by the sin inherent in your human nature and the sins you have committed as a result. With him as your redeemer, you can look forward with hope and confidence to a glorious eternity of indescribable joy, numbered with those he has redeemed by his blood out of every kindred and tongue and nations. The scriptures say, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Can you today say with absolute certainty, Jesus Christ is my personal Savior? If not, Will you open your heart and life to him now and pass from spiritual death to everlasting life? I trust the message you just heard will be a real blessing to you throughout this next week. And we trust that uh, God spoke to you through that message. And here at Canada's National Bible Hour, our great desire is to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior if they've not already made that decision, the most important decision that a person can make in life. And of course, the Bible is very clear that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, God is a holy God, a perfect God, a pure God. And uh, one sin will keep us out, keep us away from Him and from living with Him forever. And so God had to make a way because man's sinful and couldn't make a way. And he sent the best gift he had, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ became a babe in the manger. He was a God-man. He grew up, uh, did several miracles and teachings. Uh, but the goal was actually to go to the cross and bear your sins and my sins and his body as he hung on that tree. 
and he made a perfect sacrifice. He was a perfect lamb of God. He did not sin. And so therefore he was qualified to die for us in our place. And he paid the penalty that we deserve. We deserve to go to hell. We deserve to pay for all our sins, but Jesus took our sin on him. And he died, and on the third day he rose again, and he's alive today. And what the Bible asks you to do is act in faith. Believe these facts, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day. And you ask him, you receive him into your heart. The verse that I came to Christ in is Acts 16.31, which says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe, trust in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And I was saved as a young boy of 12, and it changed my life forever. Please write to Canada's National Bible Hour to get your pamphlet of Decisions Have a Long-Lasting Effect. You can, the address is Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7 or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also visit our website and listen to past broadcasts of Canada's National Bible Hour and also our new internet service. If you have a smartphone, you can get it at MGO Radio, and uh, it'll be a real blessing to you. You can also get past uh, Canada's National Bible Hour programs at our website at www.missiongo.org.